And welcome once again, wrestling fans. This is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville, and we got another edition of Classic Wrestling Memories coming at you. And once again, it's kind of with a little uh, bittersweet, uh, melancholy tone that we bring this episode to you because, once again, we're going to talk about a legend who has recently passed but did a lot of important things and would have been a Hall of Famer, really, I think, in any territory. We are talking about the recently passed Pedro Morales, who passed away in February 12, 2019. And the age is disputed a little bit, but he was well into his 70s. And I can also think that I speak a little bit for my co-host here, that by the time I started watching wrestling regularly, he had already retired. And I really only have a couple of faint memories of seeing him. And I'll expound on that when we get to it. But joining me as usual for Classic Wrestling Memories, Crazy Train, Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I, I, I do concur with what you said. Um, I, I obviously got into wrestling a little bit before you did, but uh, because of it being the tail end of the territory days and Pedro being based in the Northeast and me being in the Southeast, I don't remember Pedro that well except you know, the waning days of his career in the WWF. But he was one of those names, if you were a big-time wrestling fan like me, you had heard of. You know, right. he was in, he was in all the all the after mags. Um, he was a guy that I mean, I had never seen him. I had never seen at that point until I started tape trading Bruno. I had never seen Vern. I had never seen uh, you know superstar Billy Graham. But I'd heard of all of them. You know, mm-hmm. so I, it, it's I think you know when you, in that era when you were getting your name out so much in the magazines that people in other territories had heard of you, that's kind of, I think, a significant uh, sign of how important you were to the business overall. Agreed, yes, because uh, I was going to bring up myself that I was seeing his name all the time in the Aftermax. He was one of those names that up-and-coming or major stars might be compared to, especially if they were of Hispanic descent. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I did remember seeing him as a color commentator for Spanish broadcast because just for the heck of it, occasionally at the as a teenager, I would just turn on Spanish language WWE programming. I think it was Channel Twenty Six, Channel Forty Four, one of the, one of those two, just to hear it. I mean, obviously I recognized the wrestler, so I didn't need to hear any commentary. And occasionally you would get the commentators or interviewers that would interview talent that couldn't speak Spanish. So you know, Roddy Piper would say something very Roddy Piper-ish, and I could get it because, you know, he wasn't subtitled or anything. But I know Pedro did some color commentating for that time in the early 90s. And I'd really only seen him in the ring once by immediate recollection. I may have seen him on a couple of the Titan Sports videotapes that you would get back in the days when video stores existed, but that's a rant for another time. And that was the... WrestleMania Battle Royal, that 20-man Battle Royal that Bruno was in, that the football players were in, like the recently deceased uh, Bill Fralick. Uh, Pedro was in that match, and it became his only in-ring WrestleMania appearance. I'm, I'm sure you remember the, the Battle Royal, but I don't know if you remember if uh, Pedro was in it. I didn't remember that. I just remember that, I mean, being a South Carolinian, uh, that William Refrigerator Perry was in it because, of course, mm-hmm. he's from South Carolina. He played at Clemson collegiately. Then he played, of course, with your beloved Bears professionally. So, 
that was kind of the big news down this way. <laughs> you know, it wasn't a, and Freilich was too, cause he was a Falcon for, for a while, you know? So, um, yeah, that was more the big news than, but I, I'm not shocked. I mean, um, for our listeners that listen to our tribute show on Wahoo, my first, my first run in with, was with a, a, a you know, a semi-retired aging Wahoo. And what was it in a battle Royal? That's kind of, what battle royals were, were good for for a long time. You know, they were right. a chance for a, an aging guy to get in the ring and, and maybe, you know, get that nostalgia pop and lend some credibility to the actual event itself in the fans' eyes. Um, plus, I mean, quite frankly, <laughs> if you're going to put a bunch of guys in there that are not really trained like professional football players, it's probably a good idea to have a guy like Pedro and Bruno who can kind of take care of themselves and know what's going on to kind of steer the ship, so to speak. I think you understand what I'm saying. Yes, and really, if you're going to put a non-wrestler in the ring, this is probably one of the few times I'm probably going to praise Battle Royals, even though I was a Battle Royal fan. But as you said, and as I've heard Taz and Ryan Alvarez talk about Battle Royals, Battle Royals are not very fun when you're talent. You know, I learned that (laughs) from hearing it. But somebody who is not a wrestler, you can kind of see them being fairly safe in a battle royal because they don't have to show off. All they have to do is throw a few punches here and there or whatever and just learn how to go over the top rope. Right. Now, the most vehement opponent to uh, that is talent to to battle royals of all time is probably Ricky Morton. Uh, he, could, he could do this full-on, like, doctorate-level dissertations on how bad those things suck to be in as a, as a talent, but I digress. Right. We could probably do a whole other show just on gimmick matches throughout the years, but... That's sure. A, that's a talk for for another time. But I am interested in seeing some of his pre WWE work because my research about Pedro seems to point to him being very athletic. I mean, he did play baseball growing up. He was a amateur wrestler in high school. But once he got to WWE, I think even back in those days when it was the WWF under Vince Senior, a lot of guys didn't really, to my knowledge work a very athletic or agile style it was more power and brawling and things like that i mean am i correct in saying that especially in that territory Mm -hmm. that territory uh, and we see it today not so much now but i mean there's always going to be that segment of fans who lament vince mcmahon jr the son and his love of bigger guys and bodies i mean his dad was the same way Mm-hmm. Remember, this is this is the territory that gave us Jesse the Body Ventura and Superstar Billy Graham and Hulk Hogan and uh, Bruno San Martino and Pedro Morales. Pedro was even though he was an athletic guy, he was not a small guy. Right. Pedro to me, if if you were to say, uh, you know, wrestlers obviously as diet and nutrition has improved, uh, and and also the you know the um, what's the word I'm looking for the 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 taste of the of the viewing audience change over time the looks of the wrestlers change uh there's when i see old pictures i can look at a guy and go oh, that's a 60s 70s wrestler pedro was one of those guys you know you they, they were usually not super tall but not short very barrel chested very broad shoulders big arms uh they did not have the washboard abs or the or the 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 more svelte build you will see on on guys today like a drew mcintyre or a seth rollins or guys of that ilk but they just looked like big thick tough dudes and pedro was definitely had that look i'm sure you agree with me having seen pictures of the man definitely he was built 
like he probably also may have played some football growing up. He had that stocky, mm-hmm. muscular build, mm-hmm. not cut, but you look at it like the not necessarily that the man is strong, like he could lift weights, but mm-hmm. I think you know what I mean when I say there's a difference between strength and power. And right. Pedro looked like he was more power than he was strength. Right, right. Um, I, I didn't really know that much about him even having a career before the WWF. And it wasn't until we started doing, I just started doing research for this particular tribute that I found that out. And your research led to the same thing. I did. He started out in the World Wrestling Associates, I believe, which was a promotion based in the Los Angeles area. Is that correct? Yeah. He technically got his start because he was born in, and if there's any people that speak Spanish that hear this, uh, you know, please don't get angry. I'm probably going to butcher the name, but it was an island called uh, Calibra, which was a Puerto Rican island. Wikipedia states the date as October 22nd, 1942. I have heard conflicting reports about that. I've heard that he may have been born as early as 1940 or 41, but assuming that 1942 date is correct, that would put him at 78 years old at the time of his passing and would have turned 79. So as far as growing up, uh, he did move to the States at a young age. I mean, like, like a child because he had, I believe, family up in the New York area. So he did grow up in New York, did some amateur wrestling. To give you an idea, getting back to the power, according to history, he competed in amateur wrestling at the age of 13 at 160 pounds. Wow. I mean, I weighed 160 pounds when I was in college. <laughs> so, right. I, I mean, it's, 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 I think it's changed now, but when I was coming up in the eighties, obviously heavyweight is always the top weight class, whether you're talking Olympics, collegiate or high school wrestling. Um, and high, most States high school heavyweights are either 205 or 225. He's a hundred and, and we're talking high school kids. So we're talking, you know, 15, 16, 17 year old young men, not 13 year old. I mean, he's not that far off from that 160 pound weight class. And I'll also say what limited knowledge I do have of amateur wrestling. I shouldn't say limited. I probably have a better knowledge than most people, but it's still limited compared to those that are like diehard amateur wrestling fans. 160, 165 and 170 at the high school level are often the most competitive weight classes. Cause if you think about the average young man and about how big they are, it kind of makes sense. You know, the, 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 the vast majority of athletic young men at that age are going to be in that, that around that weight, you know? So that's, that says something to me too, you know, that he's 13 and competing at that weight class, which has historically been, uh, you know, one of the most competitive weight classes at the high school level for years. So that's impressive. A perfect way to back that up, if you want to see examples of this, is look up footage of Brock Lesnar in high school or college when he was wrestling. <laughs> Nowhere right. near as big as he is even now, and he's probably lighter than he was at his peak around 2000. So you're, t- you're talking a guy that, I mean, he was still big. You could tell he worked. Oh, I'm sure he was a, a heavyweight even at the high school level, probably. Right, right. But you know, easily probably 50, 60 pounds lighter than when he wrestled. Right, uh, you know, for right. WWE and such. You're, you're high school. You're a kid. You, you mm-hmm. ha- you're you're in the middle of puberty. You haven't f- fully completed growing, which is you know a reason why a lot of Olympic wrestlers are guys at the end of their college career up to their mid 30s. I mean, they, they're fully grown. They're grown men now. They're not in puberty anymore. 
which we know this is about Pedro, but makes what Kurt Angle did even more impressive too. But I digress again. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw another name out here. I hadn't heard this name, so I, I don't expect you to, but do, do you know the name Barbara, uh, Barbara Roja? Yeah, the name rings a bell, but I don't know why I'm supposed to, why I know that name. <laughs> yeah. Well, he is credited as being Pedro's trainer, so that's... Was he, was he a Puerto Rican-based wrestler, or was he based in New York, or was he based in Los Angeles? Uh, based in or- New York, at least as far as this time in the late 50s, early 60s. Okay. But uh, he did have, Pedro, I mean, his first pro match at the age of 17, and presumably was working New York when he first started wrestling professionally. Now, that probably late 50s, early 60s, that might not have even been Vince Sr. That may have been Jess McMahon in the, like the Capitol Wrestling days, right? Probably, or in the transitional time, I would think. I mean, essentially, about the time that Vince Vincent J took over was about the time Bruno started his first run. So you're right. talking 63 when they pulled out of the NWA, right? Right, right. And I believe Jess died shortly after that. It's one of those kind of irony things if we were to ever do mm-hmm. a, a show about McMahon's. You know, Jess McMahon passed shortly after Capital Wrestling became the WWWF, and Vince Sr. passed shortly after he sold the company to Vince. So yep. <laughs> kind, kind of funny. <laughs> it is kind of ironic when you look at it that way. Right, right. You certain things in life. Hey, don't we always say that life's better than fiction because you can't write certain things? You know, that's exactly, a great example. Yeah. You, a Hollywood writer can't write that. But you know, um, I'm not surprised that uh, he rose to the levels he did. I'm not surprised he even wound up in New York because we're talking the you know the 40s and 50s when his family moved from Puerto Rico to there this was a large, still is, but was a large Puerto Rican community in New York City. Uh, anybody heard of a little play called West Side Story? Think about mm-hmm. it. You know, I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, um, I think that, um, for people, now you probably have a different experience than I do growing up in Chicago. It is not a northern city, but it is a Midwestern city. But I think it, am I, am I fair in saying Chicago is probably more comparable to New York City and just kind of how, just kind of in every aspect than to say Los Angeles or Atlanta? I think it's fair to say, yeah. And I, so I think for people, Outside of the Midwest and outside of the Northeast, uh, these ideas of large pockets of ethnic pe- uh, communities, not just people of color. I'm talking like Italian-Americans and Irish-Americans and whatever. That's unusual to us, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously, it was very true in New York. And, and I, I think, you know, we'd all be lying if we didn't say that was definitely a part of his success. Uh, when he first started, and especially when he rose to the level of being the world champion in New York. Uh, thoughts on that? I think you're right. Uh, one of the things I was going to bring up is Vince Sr., you know, Vincent J. McMahon, he mm-hmm. really got the hang of pushing the ethnic hero. You know, it's right. how Bruno got so popular because of his Italian heritage. Pedro was very proud of his Puerto Rican heritage and was a babyface. So it just made sense that somebody who was getting a strong reaction, not just from the same you know, ethnicity, so to speak, but from casual fans as well, it, it makes sense that he would get mm-hmm. that push uh, to the main event, semi-main events of the card. And I, 
an obvious, they're, they're easy to point to as the two top guys, Pedro and Bruno are, but you had other top baby faces in the company who were ethnics, uh, whether it was a work or, or a shoot, but you know, uh, Ivan Putsky mm-hmm. for the Polish Americans, you had John Strongbow for the native American, even though we've talked about before, he wasn't really an Indian. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I'm trying to think of other examples that they had, uh, there, I mean, they Tony were just, Atlas, was just, maybe, I mean, that, that was yeah, probably yeah, before Tony Atlas's time, but, no, uh, but, but Rocky Johnson is a good example right. for the African Americans. Um, I, I mean, Rocky Maivia, the rock's mm-hmm. grandfather for the, uh, more Peter so in California. Yeah. Peter Maivia. Sorry. Peter Maivia. Yeah. I mean, Rocky I, I, is no, a but, rock himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, but I mean, you know, Peter obviously was a bigger star in San Francisco, but I think that had to do with the West coast, just having a larger population of, of Pacific Islanders as opposed to the Northeast. That's the only reason why, but he was still, I mean, Peter, my view was still a big star in New York and was presented as, as an ethnic hero. Like you said, that, that was a, that's a excellent turn of words, a way to describe how those guys were booked. And Pedro was the top Hispanic star. Um, and, um, I can also see probably why his career would have started in California because obviously Southern California is an area in the United States where it's uh, quite heavily populated by those of Latino descent, of Hispanic descent. So he would, I don't know how he was booked early in his career, but the fact that he was presented as a, as a, the idea that he was presented as an ethnic Hispanic hero is probably not that hard to believe. Uh, yeah. Do you have any information on how he was booked early in his career before he got to New York? Uh, before he got to New York, uh, not really that much, although I do know he did wrestle, I believe, Freddie Blassie pretty regularly, Pat Patterson, guys like that. Obviously, they were probably the heels. That says a lot because those were two of the top heels in that in that part of the of those territories, you know, especially mm-hmm. Freddie Blassie. Freddie Blassie was like the heel on the West Coast for years. So, yeah, if he was working programs with him in a Los Angeles based territory, there was money being made. I can tell you that Freddie drew crowds. So, yes. yeah, kudos and kudos, Pedro, especially early in your career. Anyway, yes. I digress. But I will also bring up that he spent some time in the Carolina territories because I'm going to say one name that I know you know very well. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is he worked with Gypsy Joe. Sure. Our, our our regular uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Dan Dragon Wilson's great uncle, mm-hmm. uh, who is quite frankly a, a Memphis legend. You know, I mean, he's he's a he's a legend in the Memphis territory. But uh, I could see that mm-hmm. Joe has a very uh, even though he is of Caucasian descent, he has a very ethnic look to him. I believe he's part Native American. I, I'm not 100 percent sure, uh, but um, yeah, I could see that. I'm guessing because I don't remember that run. And and knowing the, the the height of Pedro's career, that sounds like probably during the days of, of this being a tag team territory, you know, pre George Scott taking over the book. So we're talking pre 73. Is that what your numbers are telling you? Yes. Yes. Uh, and yeah. as far as California goes, you know, we talked about him working with Gypsy Joe and then, you know, Blassie and uh, Pat Patterson, Pat Patterson. Thank you. <laughs> when he was in the WWA in California. Not to be confused with the WWA that Crusher ran in Indianapolis. Right, second. right, which, which gave us Bobby Heenan, you're right. But on March 12th, 1965, to throw another Hall of Fame level name out there, he won the WWA title by beating the Destroyer, a.k.a. Dick Byer, you know. Right, and, a legend in his own right. Mm-hmm. 
also had world title shots, meaning NWA world title shots against people like Gene Kaniski and Harley Race. So even outside of the New York Territory, you know, he he was at the top of the card. He did time he was in a star. Yes, Hawaii, and um, also I believe he had a tour in Japan, but that that was later. But in the early '60s, he did work in New York, and I th- I haven't gotten it confirmed, at least not to my ability, whether he was part of that initial roster when WWWF was formed out of Capitol. So I don't know if he actually was part of that roster or if he just was a little bit before or a little bit after, but he was around there approximately during that time. Right. And it, that, uh, my, go ahead. No, but in 1970, this is really probably what he will always and forever be most known for. That's when he started that big run working for Vince Sr. And really, right off the bat, he was pushed as a big star because he won what was then called the United States title. That's a completely separate title from the one they call the U.S. title now that actually goes back to NWA history. Uh, this was a short-lived title just for the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. And then literally within one month after winning that title, he goes on in 1971 to defeat Ivan Koloff for the WWWF title. So I think it shows that his ability on the Indies and him being, or territories, I should say, being at the top did carry over ethnic hero, that type of thing. It really makes sense as to why Vince Sr. would have pushed him the way he did. Sure. And and as I can bring up as an in-ring competitor, when you're working programs and getting title shots with guys like Kaniski and Harley Race and Freddie Blassie, even if you're green, you th- what you're learning is preparing you to be a top guy. You know, I've talked about that before when I talk about, you know, certain guys are put with other guys in programs by promoters because they see something in the guy and they realize, you know, uh, they have potential. You don't put young guys in the ring in a competitive match against top-drawing guys like a Harley Race and a Gene Kaniski and a Freddie Blassie unless you see potential for them to be a main eventer themselves. I think you can understand that. Yes, absolutely. But as the WWWF champion, he held the title for approximately three years. And if you want to hear more of that story, I would recommend going back and listening to the show we did on Bruno because – uh, train you and I detailed that around that time, Bruno had been the champion for approximately eight years. He was burned out. He was getting tired. He just wanted to go home mm-hmm. for a while. And mm-hmm. that's why they had Bruno lose. And I think uh, Brian and Vinny on the Brian and Vinny show, when they would talk about Bruno, uh, the best analogy that I heard them give about Bruno, and I don't want to go too long on Bruno because we're talking about Pedro, but that infamous moment where you see Ivan pin Bruno, they made the analogy of, it's like you just saw God lose, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and for those that aren't familiar with the WWF and Bruno's run, like I, like Seth said, I would suggest you go back and listen to our episode where we pay tribute to the man and his very illustrious career. Uh, but uh, it's not that's dissimilar if you're an NWA guy from Jack Briscoe. I mean, we all know Mike Mooneyhan talked about it on our very first episode. Uh, Jack Briscoe was just tired of being the world champion and said, okay, I'm done. Mm-hmm. That happened. I mean, I, 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 I think fans of today's product 
Um, they're obviously, I mean, part of the reason there was such an appeal to CM Punk is because he had that long run with the WWE title. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, runs back then with world titles were multi year, not single year, multi year. It's quite apparent when guys like a Bruno or a Jack Briscoe have had it for a year to nine and are like, okay, I'm really tired of this. I can see that. I know, you know, and I, I, I know that. That's what I know the most about Pedro's career this time we're getting into now because it's what I've heard old timers talk about. Um, I, I, most of the old timers I've talked to that were familiar with that territory, there's a lot. I guess there's, I guess there's, it, it's up in the air. It's up for debate. Was his run as the world as, as Vince's champion successful? Um, he did not draw as well as Bruno had drawn, but I also think wrestling cyclical. So I don't know if you can put all that on Pedro. And like you just said, seeing Bruno get pinned was like seeing God get pinned. I don't, I don't care who it was. I don't know if they were, if they were ever going to catch the zeitgeist being the guy who was, I mean, I I know Bruno lost to Ivan. So he wasn't, Pedro wasn't technically the guy that followed Bruno, but he was the guy who followed him as the long-term face of the company champion. So I don't know anybody who could follow that and, and expect to draw at the same levels. You know, I mean, for modern examples, ask anybody, ask the top guys in the in the early 2000s what it was like trying to come behind the rock in Austin. Very hard to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. yeah nothing against John Cena, JBL, Triple H, all the guys you could name from the Booker T. None of them drew like them. And it's not that any of those guys aren't talented. You're following the rock and Steve Austin. <laughs> you know, so it is what it is. Right. And I think I think it, as we talk about his his world title run, if you ever hear that. That ah, Pedro wasn't as successful as Bruno. I don't know if you can 100% put that on Pedro. That's just my opinion. I don't know what say ye on that. I I think that's the right thing to say. It, it's really kind of unfair to make that analogy, in my opinion. Now, I don't have the exact numbers. I think it was like 20 times sold, uh, sold out Madison Square Garden. But for that time, that was second only to Bruno in right. MSG sellouts. Right, right. And I mean... His run was impressive. How long did it last for? It was over a thousand days, wasn't it? Yeah, one thousand and twenty-seven days—the fifth longest in history. Which you know, two of those other top four belong to Bruno. And um, really, even though Bruno was still kind of the number one babyface, even without having the belt, because he did do a lot of tags with Pedro. Even if you're the number two babyface underneath the number one babyface that is Bruno, that's not a bad place to be. No, it's not. Now, just for out of curio for curiosity's sake, I'm going to guess here, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Correct me. If Bruno had, if he's number five, and Bruno had two of the top four spots, I'm guessing the other two top four spots are probably Backlund and one of Hogan's runs. Yes, that would be Backlund because of six <laughs> okay. years, and then I think it's right around there. Hogan's first run. Right or uh, I think there might be one other in there. No, no, because it would have been longer than Superstars Reign because Superstars Reign was only a year. But yeah, so you're right, talking right. Hogan, uh, Backlund, and then two Brunos. Now, probably the biggest angle for historical purposes. This is one of the main things I wanted to, to talk about. The original showdown at, at Shea that was 1972, right? Right. I think that's correct. Right. Um, if I'm wrong, please feel free to correct me on Twitter or, or on our on our on our website. So I mean I do, do make mistakes. <laughs> yeah, classicwrestlingmemories.com is is the website. 
Right. That showdown at Shea, the initial one, that was the Bruno challenging Pedro for the title. And if I know my history correctly, the setup for this on screen, as far as storyline, was Mr. Fuji and I believe either Grand Wizard or uh, Captain Lou were kind of manipulating the two top baby faces and trying to get them to distrust each other, which when done right is one of those, yeah, it's one of those angles that will work very well if it's done right. So they had that famous match. And the real reason that match came about is because Bruno thought it was a good idea to do top baby faces against each other. Correct. Uh, That's my understanding as well. And you have to understand baby versus baby matches were very unheard of at that time, but a Especially, especially in the Northeast, Vince did not. I mean, we've talked at length before how that territory was run so different from every other territory where it was a babyface territory where the top guy was the babyface mm-hmm. and he brought in the, the, the dragon of the month, the monster of the month to have the, the babyface hero slay at the end of the month. That was completely counter productive to how every other territory ran with your top draw being the heel and then a top baby face chasing said heel for a long time to finally win the belt so the idea of a baby baby match was almost unheard of in that time period but especially in the northeast because of that so i can't i can't disagree with bruno this is completely opinion here getting away from talking about pedro just my opinion if you're going to present wrestling as a real competitive sport, which obviously at this time period they were because kayfabe completely existed, even in today's world where everybody knows and kayfabe's been broken, but you're still trying to get to spin disbelief, it makes sense that baby faces would face baby faces because you're trying to move up the ladder. I think you as a guy who likes wrestling presented more like a competitive sport can understand where I'm coming from. Yes, and really, I've said before, and I think we're on the same page with that, that wrestling is at its best when it's good versus evil. There's a reason sure, sure, why sure. in comic books you don't see superheroes fight each other all the time. Usually when you have two superheroes fight, it's again because they're being manipulated, and then they realize, oh, wait, we're good guys after all. Let's go get the real bad guys. Right, exactly. And I, it's like, obviously... Now, I will also say, as a as a guy who wrestled almost exclusively as a babyface, there other than battle royals, <laughs> the one thing I really hated was doing another baby a baby baby match. They're difficult, but they can be done. And I think, uh, you know, especially with the in ring styles of a Pedro and a Bruno, where it was you know essentially power wrestling versus a little bit of athleticism, you've got some you've got some tools to play with there. You know, to give you a compelling match where both guys remain baby faces. They don't, you know, quote unquote, use heelish tactics, uh, but is still telling a good, compelling story that the fans can get behind. You know, um, for those of us around our age, think of WrestleMania six, you know, think of right. Warrior Hogan. Neither one of them healed in that match, but it, I dare say that was probably the greatest match in, 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 in Jim Helwig's career. And one of the two or three best matches ever in Hogan's career. I mean, as far as in ring, mm-hmm. do you disagree with that? I think Hogan would probably tell you that that it, okay. it was oh, such a good match. And it's it, it's it's a straight baby baby match. These two guys are both beloved by the crowd. You know, um, I mean, there are the, the the times like I guess the most 
well known in recent time would be you know the Rock Hogan match at WrestleMania where things kind of go and the guys in the ring change the direction mid match. Um, that's just two good good workers know what they were doing there. But um, I get a feeling that that did not happen when Bruno faced Pedro. That there was legitimately both of them were getting pops. Both of them were 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 appreciated by the fans. There was probably a segment that were Bruno fans. There's probably a segment they're Pedro fans. But for a crowd that's been told from the time they started watching wrestling till you know that show, this is real. What we do is real. We're a competitive sport, just like Major League Baseball. It made sense to see the t- top two guys just because they had similar approaches to wrestling as far as tactics or as far as not breaking the rules didn't mean they weren't the top two guys. So in a, in a sports fan's head, they could get their, their head around that. Sure. That makes sense. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Broncos and a, and a, and a Panthers fan. They played each other in the Super Bowl a few years ago. You know how tough that was for me. I didn't want to, I didn't want to see either team lose, mm-hmm. but I mean, that's, they both had earned their right to, to play in the Super Bowl. And as a football fan, as much as a, as a, from a personal standpoint, I hated to see it because it's my two teams. As a football fan, I loved it because it was two good teams playing each other, right? So Agreed. Yeah. And um, here's the other side of that story for the showdown at Shea. The match had to be called not because of a time limit draw. The match time is actually 75 minutes and five seconds, which is kind of mm. unheard of by today's standards, unless your name's Kazuchika Okada. But... Uh, <laughs> They did go to a draw, so neither man won. They did signify that it was the end of the feud because the men shook hands and hugged after the the match. And allegedly, the crowd did not take too kindly to that finish. And (laughs) the biggest point here, and this is what I think vindicates Vince Sr. in his belief of not doing babyface versus babyface, is the attendance was 22,500, which... Sounds like a good crowd, and, and it is, but other showdowns at Shea, in 1976, it was 32,000. In 1980, mm-hmm. it was 36,000. And mm-hmm. Shea Stadium at that time, of course, that was where the Mets and a lot of the other New York teams played mm-hmm. at the time. That venue sits, seats like over 60,000. So right, you're talking a one-quarter capacity on what was supposed to be the match of the century. I think right, that and, gave Vince Sr. all the ammo he needed to say, okay, we're not doing this again. Right. And, and, and let's, when you reference those other two showdowns at Shea that had better, better paying customer, you know, what were the main, main events there? Hanson, Bruno, and Bruno Zabisco. So they were traditional babyface heel matches. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, so that probably even made Vince feel even more vindicated. You know, see, I told you. Yeah. And you just said it yourself. Both of us are fans of black hats, white hats. We're not saying, but, but 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 because we are fans that I think, and if I'm if, if I'm speaking out of turn for you, please correct me, Seth. We're both saying that we prefer that, but we see sometimes the need for and even a desire as a fan to see a baby baby match because it just makes sense. Right. It it goes back to that type of comic analogy where there's always the argument of who would win Superman or Thor, you know that type of stuff, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of more why fans would like to see that it's not that we want to see them feud it's not Mm -hmm. like we want to see them just simply beat up each other it's that Mm -hmm. drama of seeing who who's better 
You know, I think a great example or analogy for that that I think most people around our age will get, it's the final scene in Rocky Three when Rocky and Apollo decide to fight each other in a sparring match with nobody around. And they it ends with them both throwing punches and then it goes to the credits. We don't know, but we it, those guys wanted to know. Like, you know, who really was the better? Because obviously Apollo beat Rocky and Rocky won. Rocky beat Apollo and, and, and Rocky too. You get what I'm saying, I think, with that analogy, don't you? Exactly, yeah. Now, now, now let, 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 me, let me say this. Kind of get on this where the fans were unhappy. And we said earlier that, you know, Pedro is sometimes historically looked at as not being as a big uh, as Bruno because his numbers weren't quite as good as Bruno's. Um, I have heard people speculate, and by no means this is meant to be political or social commentary at all, um, that maybe part of the reason that that Bruno drew better than Pedro was simply because he was the the the, the Italian American, like you said, ethnic hero, and they just had a they though they were a minority and Latinos are a minority, the Italian American minority was a little bit larger in numbers, and that might be part of the reason why. Um, I don't know that. I, I, once again, I'm not from North New York City. I especially don't. I know very little about New York in the 60s and 70s. I'm a Southern boy, but it would seem to me as just a wrestling fan that uh, yes, there are going to be casuals, and I can see the argument there for maybe some of the Italian American casuals stopped coming because well, their guy wasn't on top anymore. But by the same token, I would think there would probably be some casual Latinos that would start coming because their guy was on top. You know. Um, but I think I don't think either one is enough, in my opinion, and I could be wrong to move the needle one way or the other. I think if you're truly a wrestling fan and the, the promoter has done a good job at booking these 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 performers in a way that they're believable and heroic, that you want to get behind them. And from everything you can see historically, Vince Jr. and Senior were good at that. Um, I, I don't think I don't think Pedro would have lost as much. Uh, to Bruno. I mean, even though I'm saying it's hard to follow Bruno, I don't know if you can just say that's simply the reason why. Do, I, do you understand what I'm what I'm trying to? I think I think it's there's a a lot of reasons, but that is not one of them. I don't think it was simply because the Latino community is a little smaller than the Italian American community in in New York City at that time, and that is often what some people cite. And I I don't I don't buy into that. What, what say you, Seth? Yeah, I think your logic is sound. Yeah. It, 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 it's the it's the disadvantage to having a long running popular champion when eventually that guy has to drop the belt for whatever reason. There is going to be those who just say, eh, and they're not going to, you know, and that's once again, that's not Pedro's fault. I, I think that's true in every sport. You know, I think that's true when certain certain fans are fans of a personality or a team. And when that personality or team are no longer on top or relevant. They just stop enjoying that, and that's that's not Pedro's fault, nor is it Bruno's fault. Quite frankly, it's hey, they have that right. I mean, I I enjoy certain types of entertainment that Seth does not, and vice versa. No skin off my butt, right? Right. Doesn't make you a better fan of anything than me. Mm-mm. Exactly, and vice versa. So mm-hmm. I've, I I I want you know when we were doing my research that kept coming up, and when I would talk to old timers, a lot of people wanted to push that narrative, and I always and I've always felt. I don't know, man. This is, I mean, personally, now, no, 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 this is once again completely my opinion, not facts. This is anecdotal, crazy world according to Crazy Train. Uh, what little I've seen of both these guys in that era, I was a little bit bigger fan of Bruno than I was of Pedro. 
personally, but I don't know if it would have affected me from coming to the shows or watching the television just because Bruno wasn't on top and Pedro was now, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I will say this. I, I do think that Pedro was more athletic, at least in ring wise, you know, but Bruno, and I don't want to speak for, you know, a man who can very well speak for himself or for the dead. I think Bruno would be the first to tell you that he was not like super duperly athletic, uh, in that regard, in the ring, his athleticism was through his powerlifting and his his raw strength. You know, I think you're right. Yeah, and, and that doesn't necessarily translate into the most flashy in ring style. Um, you know, so anyway, okay. But after his initial run in WWF, he did drop the title to Stan Stasiak, who would drop it almost immediately to. Bruno after that. I mean, I think it was within days because you almost say it was like three or four days. Does that sound right? Yeah. Something like it was, I think it was under a week. And there's an interesting story behind that, that I've heard Dave Meltzer say, because even back in those days, there were people that were kind of in the know because of how things would be advertised. And Meltzer tells the story that he, it was either him or one of his friends saw that the advertised main event of the next Madison Square Garden show was going to be Bruno defending the title against uh, somebody else, whether it was Stan or uh, somebody. But at that time, on screen, Pedro was still the champion. So they're thinking, wait a minute, is this a typo? Bruno's going to be defending the title? No, wait, Pedro's the champion. And then, of course, within a couple days, the title goes from Pedro to Stan to Bruno. Now, now, this is, you know, while you were talking there, I went ahead and, and, and looked it up. Now, this is according to Wikipedia, so take that for what it's worth. But uh, Pedro dropped the belt to Stan on December 1st, 1973. Um, and then pa- Stan would turn around and drop it back to Bruno on December 10th, 1973. So a little bit over a week, okay. essentially nine days, nine days, a nine day title run. And Stasiak. Uh, I mean, according to Wikipedia, I'd have to vet this out with some of the old timers I know. He had very little notice that he was going to be going over that night. You know, he was just, according to, according to, to Stasiak, he was sitting in the dressing room in Philly and the road and, and the, well, they didn't call him road agents back then, but you know, mm-hmm. obviously an older retired rest coach to him and said, Hey, uh, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna win the match. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that was that, you know? And, uh, so that's kind of how it went. And, and I, I, I guess I can see that. I mean, obviously, Stan was not going to be the long-term champion. He was truly a transitional champion to essentially get the belt off of one baby face to put it on another. Um, so, but yeah, nine-day title run, just for clarification, so we're talking about that. But, I mean, um, I don't – what happened with Pedro right after he lost the belt? He did, did he go right away? Did he go away right away, or did he still stick around for a little while? Uh, he stuck around to the spring of 1975, so about a year and a half later, and would still pair with Bruno. So he was still that number two, maybe by this time number three babyface. So he still had a bit of a run left in him, but he certainly never won the world title after that. But he did stick around. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, and like you said, he was, and like you said earlier. Being the number two babyface to Bruno San Martino still ain't bad. <laughs> you know, right. that's still right. not a, not a bad thing. And and it sounds to me like from what you're saying, he was still presented as a even though he never won the title again, he was still presented to the fans as a top guy. Right. 
and I would I would bet once again total speculation. I would bet he probably got not another match with Bruno, but maybe matches with other top contenders that were heels mm-hmm. to 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 kind of drive that point home that this guy is still a top guy. Yeah. Um, right. He could have gotten, say, the guy that was going to challenge Bruno next or the guy that right. just got done fighting Bruno. You know, right now we've you know, we've discussed before in the Bruno episode that that was usually Dominic Danucci and Tom and, and, and Tony Parisi. You know, it was they were the guys that after they had been slayed by the by the dragon, then Bruno would have to step up and slay the dragon. You know, that was the, the normal way they ran the programs there. But I could see Pedro being one of those guys. So I can't verify it, but it would make sense. You know, right. Now, over those next few years, there was about a five-year span of time here that Pedro did leave and did work in San Francisco. Now, this probably would have been the Roy Shire San Francisco, yes. right? Was, was that uh, Big yes. Time Wrestling or was that an NWA affiliate? Or That was an NWA affiliate. It would have been called Big Time Wrestling, I believe, was what he mm-hmm. called it. So he ran essentially... Uh, he ran, you know, the Bay Area and Central Northern California. I talk about all the time growing up in the Crockett Territory. It's essentially the territory Dave Meltzer grew up in. It was San Francisco, San Jose, Fresno, uh, Barstow, uh, Redding, Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And then at that time, he was going over into Vegas once a month. It, it would be later on when Vern would start running that as part of the AWA. So that area of California. Okay. And and I think he actually may have worked for Vern at some point in that. So that would put that time about right. Right. And of course the big building in San Francisco was the cow palace. Um, one of the more legendary wrestling venues in the world, which when they say it's cow palace, they really mean that it was a, it was a a, a place that was originally built for stock for a livestock auctions. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, don't, don't think it's like, you know, (laughs) but they still, I mean, they filled it out and that is, that is the house that Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens built. They were the big stars there and other people, but they were the, the probably the longest running big stars in that territory. But I get a feeling if Pedro left Vince and went there, he was probably a top guy there too. You know, so. Exactly. Uh, speaking of maintaining top guy, for a year or two, he spent in Florida, in the championship wrestling okay. in Florida, working for, for Eddie, with Graham. Eddie Graham. Now, here are two guys that Pedro worked with during his run in Florida, he did challenge Harley for the NWA title. There you go. And he teamed with the now baby face Dusty Rhodes. So, mm-hmm. so you're talking a little bit after the turn on Gary Hart and Pac San Nam. Right. So Dusty yeah. would have been the top baby face, Pedro, maybe not top at that time, but certainly one of. And he was fighting alongside Dusty. So, yeah, if he's tagging with Dusty, he's in that discussion. You know, right. in Florida, in that era, once again, I'm not trying to bring up anything social or anything, but it is kind of interesting that he seems to always pick areas outside of his run here in the Carolinas and, and Hawaii, which everybody wrestled in Hawaii. We've talked about that was the place to stop over when you went to Japan and vice yeah. versa. He spent time there, um, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just is what it was, what it was. Um, he did seem to always pick areas that had large Latino populations, you know, um, it only makes sense, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. It's it's um why not? Why did Bill Watts put Junkyard Dog on top in Mid South? Because Bill Watts looked at his crowd and go, Wow, it's 
anywhere from half to 75% African American. Might be a good idea to put African American guy on top since that's most of my crowd. You know, it's kind of, it's just business decision. You know, it's come on. It makes, yeah. this makes sense. And, right. and, and, you know, and JYD was charismatic as hell. So didn't hurt that he knew how to sell it out. Didn't say he could wrestle folks. I, and I quote, I quote Michael P.S. Hayes on this one. The only thing Junkyard Dog knew how to do in the wrestling business was sell tickets. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and let me tell you something. As a former wrestler, that is the most important thing. Okay, <laughs> right. You you can take your five star matches and 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 roll them up and, and and smoke on them. I would much rather say I sold out a, a ten thousand seat arena than oh I had a five star match on, on on on. And this is no disrespect to Dave Meltzer. If you were to ask any wrestler, would you rather sell out Madison Square Garden or get a five star rating for Dave Meltzer? Almost all of them would say, I'd rather sell out Madison Square Garden. There's a few idiots out there would probably say they want Meltzer's love, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I digress. To each his own. 1980 came around, and this is the second of actually three runs that Pedro had in in WWE. Of course, now by this time, it had become the World Wrestling Federation. Still run under Vince Sr., but Mm -hmm. by this time, uh, he... Would have been more the the grizzled veteran and such, right? And did team with Bob Backlund again, mm-hmm. who this time was the world champion and unquestionably the top babyface, right? And the second showdown at Shea, this would have been around. Uh, no, actually, this would have been the third showdown at Shea because so, that have, uh, have been eighty. That have been eighty. That would have been one in nineteen eighty. Yeah, because the second one was with, in seventy six. Right. So uh, that would have been the one with with uh, Zabisco and and um on uh, and uh, Bruno on top. Right, correct. I don't think we need we need to tell our listeners how much I loved that feud. I, right. I talk about that feud glowingly all the time. I love that feud. That was a great feud. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> the semi-main event for that was Bob Backlund and Pedro Morales challenging the Wild Samoans, Afonsica, for the tag team titles. And I'm only presuming here, but I would imagine the reason the match went about the way it did where Backland and Pedro won the titles, then had to forfeit because there was this rule, you know, obscure rule that the world champion could not hold other titles, which obviously is a rule that doesn't exist in WWE anymore. And that's, you know, right. not here nor there. But I can see maybe the idea that they would do that because the Wild Simones were one of, if not the top heel team. And I think this would have been at the height of people like Captain Lou being you know, the evil managers. Mm-hmm. I, I would go as far to say on that, other than maybe the Andersons, that, I mean, the, the Gene and Oldie, you know, the, the, original, the original Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And the Samoans were probably the top two heel tag teams in the world, not just in their respective territories. Those two were the probably the top two heel teams in the world. Obviously, the Andersons didn't travel as much as the Samoans. Mm-hmm. They stayed pretty much in the Carolinas and Georgia. It wasn't because Ole and Gene couldn't go elsewhere and draw. I, I'll say that, okay? The Samoans, known fact, they were huge draws as heels in both the Northeast and in San Francisco and in Hawaii and in Japan. So, yeah, those were the top two heels, in my opinion. Okay, once again, wrestling can be very subjective at times. But in my personal opinion, those were the top two heel teams in the world at the time. But anyways, back to what you were saying. I'm sorry to cut you off. The main reason why I brought this up is... The reason why I think they did that and had Backlund and Pedro beat the Wild Samoans, one is it establishes that it took the world champion and the number two babyface. And former world champion. And former world champion to beat these guys. And then on the other hand, 
you could bring out this obscure rule that nobody seemed to know about because that's the heel's defense. Oh, well, they shouldn't be the champion. He's already a champion. Give us our belts back. I mean, that's heel 101 to me. So basically what you're saying is what I preach all the time, that if you don't know how to go in and do a quote-unquote job and to still come out over, then you don't know how to work. That's kind of a good example of that, isn't it? I mean, because the Samoans are actually bigger in Ross. Another perfectly good example of this, because I'm sure it happened in the territory days, is you might have your world television champion, and he fights and loses at a house show or a non-televised event. And Mm -hmm. then, of course, he's the TV champion. We're not on TV, so screw you guys. I get to keep my belt, and I'm leaving now, you know? Right, right, right. We've also talked about when it comes to quote-unquote TV titles, the whole idea of you have to beat the champion in 15 minutes. You know, we even mm-hmm. brought up that scenario from the first Starcade where Jimmy Valiant, uh, so, sorry, 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 Charlie Brown from out of town, <laughs> <laughs> you know, fought for the television title but did not win the match in, in 15 minutes, so he didn't win the belt. You know, the, right. It's wrestling's so fun sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> it has right. its own skewed logic. <laughs> Right. Now, now at some point though, Pedro did win the win the tag team titles and hold them, didn't he? I don't know if he held them. I believe the only credited win is with Bob because technically they won it. The I guess the belts didn't get nullified; they just had to surrender them. Okay, and he, but he also had an intercontinental title run too, did he not? Exactly. That was the next thing I was going to bring to you because that's the important thing of his second run. I think is. He did beat Ken Patera, who was a hated heel, and to give you an idea, was working other territories aside from Vince Sr., so that gives you an idea of his drawing ability. But he, meaning Pedro, beat Ken Patera, held the Intercontinental title. He was the third, I believe, ever champion, feuded with Don Morocco over it for years, and traded it with him, basically. So he... Not only was one of the first IC champions, he was the first ever two-time Intercontinental Champion. His second reign in length is second only to Honky Tonk Man, because we all know Honky Tonk Man is the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. Just ask him, he'll tell you. And he was also the first ever Grand Slam Champion. He was the first man to win the world title, the secondary title, and... The tag belts. Half, you could even, if you want to bring in those United States title win, that would make him a grand slam, but that title wasn't active at the time. So, Right, uh, right. So uh, so no no offense, Shawn, Shawn Michaels, you actually weren't the first. Or right. I think it was him. Was, no, it was Bret Hart that claimed I think it was Bret. That it was, he, Bret was, I think, probably the first of that modern era after the, right. the national sure expansion. Was. Sure he was. But, but sorry, Pedro beat you by a few years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right now, granted, his his world title, his his tag team run was only for a, a few days, but technically, he still was one half of the world tag team champions. Right, right. In the same way that Andre the Giant was still recognized as a former WWE champion, because technically right. he won the belt, and the ruling was that he had to surrender, or since he had surrendered it, it was no longer his. So, because we all know that the that the referee of records uh, decision is final. Thank you, Tommy Young and Dusty Finishes from here on out. But I digress. <laughs> Tommy Young. <no. laughs> but, 
I, you know, I have yet, ever since that got popular, I have yet to ask Barbie about that. I need to ask him about that. <laughs> He's going to roll his eyes, go, kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, for a few years after that, Pedro did wrestle in Puerto Rico and then returned for his third stint in WWF. And this is really the twilight of his career that we were talking about. He had one last run. This was now when Vincent K. McMahon, you know, the, the Vince we all know and love from modern WWE, he did Mr. get McMahon. hired. And really, about this time, when we're in that WrestleMania era, this was a time when Vince would hire these grizzled veterans and still presumably you know, pay them well. But they would be there to establish the new generation. That was their role. That right. they were the to give the proverbial rub. Right. The grizzled veterans slash legends that weren't jobbers, you know, they weren't low on the card, they weren't enhancement talent. They would win the matches on Superstars. Uh, TV, you know, the, the enhancement matches, but they would lose those semi-main event matches to the guy that would then go on to challenge for a championship. Right. Now, I don't know how much you know or our listeners know, a little bit of pulling back the curtain for y'all. There has long been said by those in the business, and some of this information I'm getting from the people that are directly affected, that when Vince K., Vince, you know, Mr. McMahon, bought the company from his father, there was a group of of these veterans you're talking about that essentially had a job for life that Vince Sr. told Vince Jr., you will always take care of these people because they have meant so much to our family's company and you will always take care of them. And some of them were, were minority owners in the company, a la Gorilla Monsoon, you know, so it wasn't hard. I do not know, though, if Pedro was one of those guys. Um I cannot remember in the life of me as many times as I've heard that story told to me uh, if he was one of the names. I know the names I always heard were Gorilla. I always heard Pat. I always heard um, Arnold. Probably. Arnold Skolan. Arnold Skolan. Once again, not hard because he was a minority holder, right? Like much like Gorilla Mula. So there were a few of them. I, I, I think Bruno wasn't. But by that point, Bruno was already kind of upset with where Vince was. And and a lot of Bruno's um, animosity, for lack of a better term, towards Vincent K. McMahon had to do with what he perceived on how Vince treated David, his son. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, and we mean, if you look again, if you want to hear about that, we talk about that a, a little bit on the Bruno show. But I don't know if Pedro was one of those guys. But if he was, I wouldn't be shocked, you know, um. It would make sense. Think, Again, you know, right. was was the commentator for uh, a number of years. I think it was a few years anyway. I, I, I've said this many times before. I have been critical of Vince McMahon publicly and privately multiple times, as, as most of us who are as, – as most wrestling fans or people in the business have been. Um, but overall, Vince is not a bad guy, Okay. And Vince does respect the legends. I know that it's hard for the fans to see sometimes. Uh, it doesn't seem like on the surface that that's true, but I think he really does. And that's, once again, my opinion. I think Vince McMahon truly does care about the history of our business. Now, obviously, he's a businessman and he's a showman, so he's going to try to 
control the narrative so that it puts his company and his his family's legacy in the best light, but it doesn't diminish his respect for those that contributed to the business for which he gained his fortune in. I think you can understand that. And, and so if Pedro wasn't one of those guys, I can be pretty say pretty confidently without really knowing that much about it. Vince McMahon Jr., Vince Candy McMahon, respected Pedro Morales. I think and appreciated right, yeah. Pedro and what he contributed to not only his family business, but the wrestling business as a whole. Um, but, you know, I will step yeah. down off my soapbox now. Yeah, I, I think it's safe to say Vince had a soft spot for people that made his dad a lot of money. Sure. And Pedro made his dad a lot of money. Right. Like we said, 25000 at Shea Stadium it was a letdown, but that's nothing to sneeze at either. That's a lot of that's a lot of cash. <laughs> you right. know, that's a that's a nice little chunk of change. That's a good payday. So, right. you know. But in this third run in WWE, uh, like I said at the top of the show, he competed in his only WrestleMania. He participated in that battle royal that, that Andre won. Did feud with the likes of Randy Savage, Jake Roberts. Again, guys that are legends now, but were still on their way up. And this is a piece of fun little knowledge just simply for me. Because this is something I was trying to remember since we started the Wrestling Brethren podcast early last year. I remember saying one of my earliest memories of consciously seeking out and watching WWE was a Saturday Night's main event. And this actually happened to be Pedro's last televised appearance for WWE. And it was the October 4th, 1986 edition of Saturday Night's main event. He was set to wrestle... The Iron Sheik. And what I remember distinctly about this is this was the time Piper came out on crutches, smacked Sheiky with his crutch, and hobbled off because you know he was injured or something like that, and he wanted to fight Sheiky even though he was injured. And it was confusing to me because, he, because that morning on the Saturday morning cartoons, I saw Piper, and he was a bad guy allied with Sheiky. Of course, that's just you know TV programs. But it was interesting to me that this show that I speculated on almost a year and a half ago about, you know, when, when, when did this happen? Well, uh, studying up on, on Pedro answered that you question. So, so yeah, uh, that really brings us to the end of his career because apparently he retired in 1987 and I think was still doing house show matches at, at the time. I could be wrong about that, but here's a rundown of the titles that Pedro won over his career. And this might not be a complete list, but in WWE, of course, we had the WWWF, Worldwide Wrestling Federation title, two-time Intercontinental Champion, first-time two-time, World Tag Team Champion, and one of the few guys to hold that short-lived United States title, first Triple Crown Champion, for the various NWA territories, was the Florida Television Champion, the Southern Heavyweight Champion, which I think was the Florida version. Okay. Tag titles with Rocky Johnson. Again, shows you the area in the card that he was. Uh, big time championship in Hawaii, also tag. Three time NWA San Francisco tag. And then there's those uh, belts in WWA that would have been for uh, California. And he did hold the WWC North American title when he was in Puerto Rico. And. These listings here, WWE Hall of Fame, Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame in Museum in Texas, 
Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, which may not be an actual Hall of Fame, but you do get voted into the Hall of Fame by legit wrestling experts. I know that much about the uh, Hall <laughs> of Fame ballots. I'm sure you do. And uh-huh. uh, finally, Cauliflower Alley Club honoree. All four of those, each individually, is an impressive feat, but he got all four. Right. That's pretty impressive. Um, yeah. I, I, for, unfortunately, I do not, just just because of where I lived and when his career is, I don't have a lot of personal recollection about the man. But that does not, by any stretch of the imagination, mean I do not respect him or his accomplishments. You know, um, obviously he did not have the direct influence on me in my desire to become a wrestler in my career as a Ric Flair or a Dusty Rhodes or guys that were stars in my area in my youth. But I'm smart enough to realize that he was a major draw and wrestling is not what it what it was when I was in the business actively or what it is today without somebody like Pedro Mar- In fact, he's a very, very key part of that history. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sad we lost him, but like you said, he was in his late seventies. So obviously he lived a rich full life, which is, you know, I'm sad to say when that happens with wrestlers, that's, that's kind of a good thing because we have lost so many of us young, um, condolences from the crazy train to his family and his friends and his fans. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it's always sad to lose somebody, but you know, as I say on all these tributes, as a guy who got to go down that crazy road that we call professional wrestling, that brotherhood that we have, thank you, Pedro, for paving some of that road before I jumped on it. I, I didn't know you, but, man, it, you don't understand how much it meant to me. I, too, definitely extend my condolences, thoughts, prayers to his family. And, you know, legend certainly is a fitting name. And for you listeners, if you are hearing us for the first time or hearing us for the 26th time, uh, if you're not following us on the interwebs, we can be found at ClassicWrestlingMemories.com. The website is BehindTheSquaredCircle.com, as well as the Twitter at TWBP Show for the Wrestling Brethren podcast. We're part of that family. We are available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, the podcast catcher or podcast device of your choosing as i like to say just search for classic wrestling memories you'll find us we i know for a fact we have several dozen subscribers now so thank you give us a review and give us a rating you know if it's a five star if you think we're worth five stars thank you very much for that but if you want to be a little more critical of us i can certainly understand that as i always say for all my shows or our shows, I should say. You know, they're your shows too, Train. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm always trying to get this show better. So I welcome negative feedback as long as it's genuine. Now, I do want to give a shout out here to the iTunes user JD4927. And he gave us a five-star review. So thank you very much, JD. And he puts tons of insight while providing a solid foundation of start-to-finish bio info that many wrestling podcasts gloss over. And my, my goosebumps went off reading that, that <laughs> the fact that somebody would say that uh, about a show that, that I do, and simply because I consider myself an amateur historian, you know. Right, <laughs> so I right. uh, was never in the business like you were, but I have the interest in it, and it makes me think that I'm doing something right when I start getting reviews like that from strangers. 
Well, I'm just happy because that was, you know, when, when me and Seth long ago kind of came up with the idea to do this, I think that was kind of the consensus between the two of us on what we were shooting for. So the fact that at least one person feels that way means at least one person is thinking we're doing what we were shooting for. So we're not complete failures. I guess that's the one. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's probably, probably a good way of putting it. <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's a good, that's a good day. When you're on a complete and utter <laughs> failure, you've done okay. Right, right. So with all that said, uh, Train, if people want to uh, keep track of you online, where can they find you on the Twitterverse? I'm always available on Twitter at CrazyTrain underscore JB. Um, uh, I echo the sentiments of Seth. Uh, anything you send to me on my Twitter feed about classic wrestling memories, it will get back to Seth as well. Uh, you know, if, if it's an interesting question, we'll, we'll read it on the air we'll, we'll, and we'll discuss it. Um, we want... We want to have interaction with our listeners. It's the, uh, you're the guys that make this possible. You're the guys who, you know, and gals. I'm pretty sure most of our listeners are men, but we might have some female listeners, I hope. <laughs> um, well, we're, we're going to do shows about uh, women wrestlers as well. So, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, exactly. I mean, my mentor is a, a fan of women wrestlers. So, hey, um, it, you know, it, I, we want, we want your feedback. We want this to be a, a, a kind of a community, you know. Yeah, we're the one kind of steering the ship, but, you know, steering the ship don't do any good if the passengers don't like where we're headed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And with that said, I'm going to shut out the lights here in the studio, and we'll talk to you folks again, and may pleasant memories be your guide. Classic Wrestling Memories is part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and at ClassicWrestlingMemories.com. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests are purely their own and do not reflect the opinions of ClassicWrestlingMemories.com, BehindTheSquaredCircle.com, the Wrestling Brethren Network, or any affiliates. Some media used by Classic Wrestling Memories may be the copyright of its respective owners, all rights reserved. How's that for a sign-off? Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> not Boyd, not not Boyd Pierce or, or Bob Cottle, but not bad. <laughs> yeah. If I could ever get you in one of Boyd Pierce's suits, now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs>